I'm going to do the first uh, five verses of chapter 5, and, uh, but I want to start a little bit before. We can start in verse 19 of chapter 4, so we can get the context of the, of the chapter. Um, I'm going to read it, and we can pray. Um, for verse 19, we love him, we love God, because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? In this commandment we have from him that, we, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, that we can gather this morning together. We all have that same love for you, Lord, because you first love us, Lord. And, and we know that we have been accepted, Lord, adopted as children, sons and daughters, Lord. And we can enter into your courts with assurance, Lord, bringing our praise and worship and thanksgiving, Lord. And we are accepted, Lord. So we praise you for that time. We praise you for your word. And, Lord, we want to ask you to be faithful to your promise that your word will never return to you void. You have promised that as the water, the rain and the snow come down from heaven and water the earth, and it brings, for, it brings fruit, Lord. You have promised that your word, when your word is spoken, when you speak your word, it will bring fruit. It will accomplish what you have sent your word, the purpose you have sent it for. So we pray that your, your word would bring fruit in us, would transform us and conform us into your likeness, Lord that in all things you will receive honor and glory. In Jesus' name. Um, so, verse 19, uh, we love him because he first loved us. So this is the starting point of love in us. Our love for God is born of the knowledge of his love toward us. That's the only way we can love him. We must first know his love. We cannot love him without first receiving his love. So how do we know the love of God? If we turn back to 1 John 3.16, he says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. So that's the only way to know God's love for us. It's through the sacrifice of his son. In John 15, verse 13, Sorry, I, have, I was... Christ said, this is um, uh, greater love as no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So the, great, the sacrifice of, some, of one's love is the greatest expression. The, sorry, sorry, I start again. The sacrifice of one's life is the greatest expression of love. In John 3.16, you know, you, know, you all know the verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God's love was demonstrated by the gift of his son. Um, so, so Christ's sacrifice is the greatest expression of God's love toward us. And um, this is a good remedy for a cold heart. When, we, when our love for him is grow cold and, and we lose passion for him, the only way is to go back to the gospel and to meditate on his love toward us. That's the only way for us to have love for him, and to, and to be passionate about him. Um, the verse 20 says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Uh, so here we see that our love for God will be manifested, will be shown by loving others, our loving our brothers. So that's the context. That's how we start chapter 5. 
Um, we love... Um, we love God because he first loved us. And because of the love we have for him, we can love our brothers. So the first verse in chapter 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him will be God, also loves him who is begotten of him. So here it seems like John is anticipating our question from the past verse, so who is my brother? And so it gives us the answer, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Anyone, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So the word whoever, um, anyone, anyone can become a child of God. It's not dependent on the race or the nationality, the social status or the religious uh, identity. The only condition is to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And um, so it's open to everyone, anyone is called to believe and it's the only way that we can become children of God. It's to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Um, if we turn to John 20, verse 30 and 30 through 31, it's good. There is, while I was studying that, I found so many uh, similarities between his gospel and this epistle. So many things that are linked. He says, that's the end of the, of the gospel. He says, and truly Jesus, de Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So that was the purpose of the gospel. Uh, John wrote the gospel in order that the people would know what Jesus did. By, by knowing what he did, they would believe that he is the Messiah that is the Christ, the Son of God. And when they believe, they would receive life in him. They would become sons and daughters of God. Um, I want to talk a little bit about believing, what it means to believe. Um, the whole testimony of Scripture shows that believing is more than just a mental acknowledgement or, or an assertion that Jesus is the Messiah. It's so much more than that. Um, in John 1, John 1, verse 11 and 12, and th well, 11 through 13, he says, so he's talking about Jesus being the true light who came into the world. And he says, he, Jesus, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You see here, it doesn't use the word believe. He used the word receive Christ. Those who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. You see how receiving and believing is the same word. So receive, to receive, I wrote some definition to give us a little bit better understanding of what it means to receive something. To come into possession of, to acquire to act as a receptacle or container for. That's what it means to receive. To permit to enter, to admit. To accept as authoritative, true or accurate to believe. So that's what it means to receive Jesus. It's more than just, I have that mental belief, yes, he existed, like, as we hear a lot today. It's not believing in the existence of Jesus. At that time, Nobody questioned the existence of Jesus. What the purpose of John's Gospel is to show that he is the Messiah, not that he existed. And then today we must receive him in the same way that he's urging the, the, his readers in that time. Just you must receive him, you must accept him as the Messiah, being the Messiah. Um, in the, the, if we read the, the, the verse 13, he's talking about the children of God were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. So being born again it, as a children, as a child of God, so that doesn't come by physical descent, by human effort, 
or human volition, but it's, it only comes by the power of God. Um, let's see it. Let's read John five thirty nine through forty. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You see here, the Pharisees, they believe that by simply um, um, conforming externally to the law, they could receive life. And, and you say, no. In order to receive life, you have to come to me. That's what John said, you must receive Christ to have life. Um, today we can see a lot of people who believe that by doing good and living a life in apparent obedience to God's word, without ever receiving Christ and surrendering to him, they think that they will have eternal life. That is a total contradiction of the gospel. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel is called, it's the good news. Why? Because we can become children of God solely and, and only by receiving Jesus as being the Messiah. But we must receive him. So what does it mean to receive Jesus as the Messiah? What does that imply for us? Um, so I, when I went to John Day the other day, I had to talk, uh, to teach on the... The uh, should have forgotten the word. The transfiguration. <laughs> Big word. I wrote it on my hand, but I washed my hand this morning. <laughs> so, so I I I taught a little bit on that on 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 what it means, because the purpose of transfiguration was to, to confirm to the apostles that he was the Messiah, indeed. So, in, when we read in the Old Testament, there were three major offices among the people. There was the, pre, the prophet, the priest, and the king. Those were distinct offices, and the people who served in, in these offices, they were appointed by God and by God only. Nobody could be a, a, a prophet without being appointed by God. Nobody could be a priest without being appointed by God, and nobody could be the king without being appointed by God, chosen by God. So the prophet spoke God's word to the people. In, the, in this way, he was ministering to the people on behalf of God. The priest offered sacrifices, prayers, and praises to God on behalf of the people. So he was ministering to God on behalf of the people. And the king, he was ruling. He ruled over the people as being God's representative. So those offices, they are like a type or shadow of Christ. They foreshadow his own, Christ's own work. Um, and we can see in, through his life and death, Christ fulfilled these three offices. Um, so as a prophet, as a prophet, he reveals, Jesus reveals to us, reveals God to us. He spoke God's word to us. Um, when you read in Deuteronomy, I won't go over there, but Deuteronomy 18, uh, Moses said, you know, the Lord will raise from among you a prophet like me, and him you will hear. He was talking about Christ. So Christ is a prophet, and in fact he's more than a prophet, because he's not only speaking God's word, he's gone God's word himself. He's the word of God made flesh, incarnated. In, ver in John 1.14, we can read that the Word became flesh. So, um, um, so is the, Christ is the perfect representation of God. Not only through His words, but through His actions too. Everything He said and He did, and, he, and everything He did reflect who He is. And through through Christ's life, when you read the gospel, you can know the heart of God. You can know the mind of God. You can know his character. You can know him. In John 49, when Philip says, "Ask Jesus, say, show us the Father. And, 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 uh, and so Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. The one who sees me, 
the one who sees me sees the Father. There is no difference. So in that, Christ fulfills his role as a prophet. He's the perfect prophet for us. When, they, when he fed the 5,000 in John 6, verse 14, 14 through 15, after feeding the 5,000, the people, they gather and they say, when, so when, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So you see, the, pre the people they saw, they saw the sign, they saw, they saw what Jesus did, the healings and, and feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000. And then they realized, say, he is the one, he is the prophet that was, that Moses told us that he would, the prophet that would come. And then they decided to, to take him by, they want to take him by force and make him king. He's going to be the king, he's going to be the Messiah. The problem is that they missed the second, the second uh, ministry of Christ. The priest. So, um, as a priest, Christ, he, he not only offers sacrifice to God on our behalf, he, is in, in, he intercedes for us, but he is himself the sacrifice too. Um, I'm going to read you a couple of... Um, couple of scriptures. Uh, if you go to uh, Hebrew 4.14. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So you see, here uh, Christ is called our great high priest. If you go to um, Psalm 110.4 The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever. He's talking about the Messiah. You are a, priest, a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrew 9.26 he has appeared once for all to the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So we see that Christ is the, the perfect, our perfect high priest, but he's our, the sacrifice too. Hebrew 9, 11 through 12. Just bear with me a little bit with that. I just, it's important to, um, to realize all those free offices, he helped me a lot to understand what are the uh, to to um, he helped me a lot understand those free offices that Christ fulfilled and how it relates to my faith. I will explain a bit more after that. Uh, Hebrew nine twenty six. He then would have had to suffer. He's talking about the, the, the priest who had to offer sacrifices. And he says, but now, talking about the Lord, about Christ, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. There's a lot of scripture. We can go through Isaiah and, and, and we see how he bore our sins. The Messiah would bore the sins of the people and would be uh, chastised for them. Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. You make his soul an offering for sin. And then he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercessions for the transgressors. So it was clear that the Messiah would be a priest. He would intercede for the people, but he would be 
the sacrifice for the people too. And then you, um, and then he would be king. The Messiah has to be king. If you read in Psalm seventy-two, eight through eleven, um, he's talking about the Messiah's reign. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall, fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. And then in the verse 17, his name shall endure forever, his name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. So you see that the Messiah will reign over the whole creation. All kings will fall down before him. All nations shall, shall serve him. And not only that, but his reign will never end. His name will endure forever. Same thing, another example, another prophecy of Christ's reign in the Psalm 45. Psalm 45, uh, verse 6 and 7. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Your lo you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And then one last scriptures, and then in Luke 1, verse 31, 33. So, and this is uh, the word of, of uh, the archangel Gabriel to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his fa father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So, sorry, I just threw some scriptures at you. But the purpose is like we see from Old Testament prophecies and even New Testament writers proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, so the Old Testament prophecies tell us that the Messiah will be a prophet, he will be a priest, and he will be a king. And then we have the, the, the testimony of the New Testament writers who say that Jesus, this Jesus that whom they knew, whom they see, they walked with, he is indeed the Messiah. And they can testify that he was indeed the, the great and better prophet and, the, and the, um, our, our high priest, and he's the king. So what are the implications for us? What does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, we saw that to believe is to receive, is to accept, is to surrender to. So if, if Jesus is the, the, the greater, the, the great prophet, the best prophet, is the perfect revelation of God, so that means that everything that he said, all his commandments, all his teachings, Everything that he did has authority above us if we receive it, if we believe it. We submit to his commands, we submit to his teaching, we accept them. Um, if, if we accept him as a priest, we recognize that he is indeed the high priest, our high priest, and he is the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice for us. So what does he imply for us? That means we realize that we cannot go to God apart from him. He is the only way for us to come into the presence of God. He is the only way for us to come to him. As you said, I am the only way. No one can come to the Father but through me. So just those two points already flies in the face of a lot of belief that we see in the world in different religions. 
um, you will find people who believe that Jesus is really the sacrifice for their sins. They don't believe that he is the word of God in a way that he is the reflection of God and, 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 and um, a perfect representation of who God is. You have people who believe the opposite. Muslims believe that he was a great prophet, but they don't believe that he is the priest and they don't believe that he is the sacrifice for our sin. And um, in the same way, if he's the king, if we believe that Jesus is the king, so then we will submit to, the, to his um, authority. Everything that we do, everything that um, our life will be under his authority. I try to explain um, just what he means to receive Jesus as being the Messiah. Um, and, and, and John says that those who believe, those who have received Christ as being the great high priest, being the perfect prophet, and being the king, are become children of God. So in the, go back to the, if we go back to the text in 1 John 5, um, the second part of the verse, and everyone who loves him will be God, also loves him who is begotten of him. Um, so here he says that everyone who loves God will love the one who is born of him. Everyone who claims to love God will love the one who is born of him. In verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So here we see that the love for God, the love for the children of God and keeping God's commandments are inseparably woven together. They cannot be dissociated to, um, Neither, neither one, love for God, love for the children of God, or keeping God's commandment, neither one can, be, can come by itself or neither one can be expressed by itself. Um, so we see from the ver first verse to the third verse, faith in Christ leads to adoption and a revelation of God's love toward us. And, and that revelation of God's love toward us producing us love toward God. And our love toward God is manifested by obedience to his commandments and love toward those who are born of him. So, then John says, his commandments are not burdensome. Why, I, why is it not burdensome to keep his commandments? Because they are Because of our love for him. The, our love for God is the force that moved us to obedience. That's why his commandments are not burdensome. In Second Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15, Paul says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for a whole, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So here we see the example of Paul's life. Love, the love of Christ toward him compelled him. He was compelled. I mean, he was constrained. He, have, he had no other option to live for him. You see, he said that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So in the same, in the same way, Christ's love toward us 
should compel, should constrain us to live for him and sacrifice our life for him. We should have no other choice when we get to know his love. Um, here we read in the, in the, in the first verse, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Um, our love must be expressed through actions. And keeping, in this verse we see that keeping God's commandments and loving our brothers is the way we show our love to God. That's the only way we express our love to God, is by keeping his commandments and loving the others. Hebrew 6 I like that verse, Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Here, you see here the author, um, he said that you have ministered to the saints and it's considered showing your love toward God's name. And of course, here is, it's through actions. Your work and labor of love has been shown toward God's name. They've shown their love toward God by ministering to the saints. Your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints. We can see in scriptures where our God identifies himself with our brothers in a way that Matthew twenty-five in Matthew twenty-five verse thirty-one when the Son of Man, it's Jesus who's talking, comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will, come, will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you f from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, I surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So you see here, as much as you did it to one of them, you did it to me. He identified himself with the one in need. They showed kindness and love to those in need, especially their brethren. And the Lord said, as you did it to them, you did it to me. That's how they expressed the love to God. I'm going to turn... Proverbs eight nineteen ten. I can read it. Nineteen seventeen, sorry. He was pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. The one who gives to the poor, the one who tend and care for the poor, in fact, is giving to the Lord. Another, we can, it's another place where we see the Lord identifying himself with the one in need, with the poor. I mean, all that to say that this is how we can show our love to God. It's by obeying his commandment and showing love to others. That's the only way we can show our love to, to God. Something, when you think about love, it, it's only the recipient of love that can witness of it. No matter how, how much I claim that I love someone, if that person doesn't feel, doesn't receive, doesn't see my love, 
In fact, there is no love. If you ask me if I love my wife, I will tell you yes, but that doesn't mean anything. You have to ask her if she sees my love. And then you can see, then there is love indeed. It's like talking to someone. You open your mouth, but there is no word that comes out. You think you're talking, but in fact there is no relationship. There is no um, dis uh, there is no discussion. There is no the other person doesn't hear anything. You cannot say that there is a discussion. They cannot say that there is a talking involved. Even if you think you are, it's the same thing with love. I think we can be deceived really easy with that. Um, when we read the Epistle of James, um, he linked faith and works. I mean, he says that if, if there is no work, your faith is dead. If there is no work, it shows that there is no faith, no matter how much you claim that you have faith. And it's the same thing with, with love. If there is no action, no matter, no matter how much you claim you love, in fact, there is no love. You're just deceiving yourself. We read in Hebrews 6 and 10, he said, your work and labor of love. It goes together. Work and labor of love. In 1 John 3.18, we read it uh, the other day. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Love will imply works. So, so in our life, if there is no obedience, no obedience to God's commandments, in fact, there is no love toward him, because we've, saw, we've, we've seen that. It's through obedience that we show our love to him. So no matter how much we claim that we love him, if there is no obedience, in fact, there is no love. And same thing with our brothers and sisters. If there is no work or labor or love toward them, there is no love. That was very convicting to me. Um, so, um, so love is manifested for our action. That's the only way we can express love. And and um, you know, when we're here in the world, I mean, in the world, a lot of people talk about love, and people do great things in the name of love. A lot of things that are done, but I think there is a fundamental difference between the love that comes from God and the love that we receive from Him and the love that we express toward Him and toward others and the love that, is, that we see in the world. I think there is a big difference. I think that, you know, God's love always implies sacrifice. There is always a sacrifice in it. It's a self-sacrificial love. We read in John 15, you know, Jesus said there is no greater love than to give His life for his friend. And God's love will always imply sacrifice. His love toward us was marked with sacrifice, and our love toward him and others should be sacrificial too in the same manner, in the same way. Um, we read the, uh, so, the, um, our love toward him, our love toward him, how is it marked with sacrifice? So um, we read that Second Corinthians 5 already, 15, but Paul says, you know, I'm going to read it because I'm about to read it. Okay. So Paul was compelled by the love of Christ, and he says, and he died for all, Christ died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. This is sacrificial love. We're compelled by his love, his sacrificial death toward us, for us, his sacrificial love toward us. We're compelled and we will sacrifice our life for him. In the same way, when we read to Romans 12, 12, 11, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. There is a notion of sacrifice again. 
wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So that's how we express our love to God. He has to be sacrificial. It will cost us. It will cost us to obey him. It will cost us to follow him. Our love for him will cost us. How we express our love to our others in a sacrificial way. I have a couple verses uh, in 1 John 3.16. So we read already that by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And in the same manner, like he says, and we also how to lay down our life for the brothers. So we have to lay down in the same way that God did it for us. We need to do it for, for our brothers. Our love for them has to be sacrificial. In Philippians 2.3, we ran through Philippians not long, not long time ago. Um, he says, Let nothing be done for selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. What does he mean to esteem others better than himself? It's sacrificial. I have to sacrifice my own self. I have to die to myself for the other. Esteem I have to esteem him better than myself. I just give you a free example of sacrificial love. There is a lot in, in the word of God, but um, in 1 Corinthians 13, when there is that, Paul is, talk, is describing what love is. He says, so I can read it, those three verses. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not uh, behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. He says, he said, love, love does not seek its own. This is sacrificial, self-sacrificial. Love does not seek its own. He seeks the good of the other, not of his own. So that's, that's how we receive God's love through his sacrifice, and that's how we express our love to him, sacrificing our life to follow him, to obey him. And when I say sacrificing our life, it's like dying to self. That's what Jesus said. You must, we must die to our own passion and desire that goes against him, to surrender to him and obey him. And in the same way, we love others. And it's, it's tough. It's difficult. Um, but I think that really love is really the, it's really the fruit of spiritual maturity. Um, Paul says, you know, same chapter 13, verse, verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but I have no love, I'm nothing. You know, if I can understand everything and, and know everything and explain everything, but I don't love, it's useless. You know, it's like, it's like a race car without wheels. You know, you can have 500 horsepower, and if you have no wheel, you go nowhere. It's the same thing. If we don't have the love, it, anything else is of no avail. It does, doesn't mean anything. Uh, verse five, verse four and five. For whatever is, bo is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So, in this context, like uh, for, he used the word for for whatever. It means because because whatever is born of God overcomes the world. John gives us the reason why we can keep God's commandments without being burdened by them. Um, in the Bible, the, wor uh, the word world means everything that is opposed to, to God. Um, it represents the spirit of Antichrist. Um, in 1 John 5, 8, 19, 
He says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So anything that is against God is called the world. Everything that is under the influence of the enemy is called the world. The ESV translated, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Um, so here, overcoming the world means to, f to obey God. This is what it means to overcome the world. Not to walk in obedience of the spirit of the world, which, we, which is against God, but to walk in obedience to God. This is what it means to overcome the world. Ephesians uh, 2, 1 and 2, I can read to you. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the hair, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So you see that the whole course of this world is in disobedience to God. And we once walked in it. We were in it, following that. But those who are born... Were those who are born of God, they overcome the world. They, they can walk in obedience to God. They couldn't before. But now they can walk in obedience to God. And they're not burdened by his commandments. I'm going to skip on that. Um, so if that's a fundamental principle for Christian living, is to be aware that the world is opposed to God. And... Uh, I don't have time to go, but in John 17, uh, you know, Jesus prayed for his disciples and he said that they are not of this world. We are not of this world. Even if we are in this world, we are not of it anymore because we are born of God. And then we're, we must be aware that the world as it uh, influences us and lead us away from, from that, from obey, obeying and following God. It's important to be aware of that because we are living in the world, but we are not of it. So, whatever or whoever is born of God, whoever has received the Spirit of God, who has his seed, as John said before, as the, the seed of God in, in him, is able to walk in obedience to his commandments. This is what it means to overcome the world, is to walk in obedience to the commandments of God. In, in Romans 8, uh, Paul says that the children of God are led by his Spirit. The children of God are, have received the Spirit of God and they are led by Him in obedience to God. And they are not led by the Spirit of the world anymore. There is a wonderful scripture in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. I don't have much left, just bear with me. It says, the context is the resurrection, but Paul is... He's going to compare the first Adam and Jesus. He says, The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. It's, it's an awesome scripture that we were, we were born of the man of dust. We were like the old Adam. We failed and couldn't follow. We couldn't obey God. But those who are the children of God, those who are born of God, born of his spirit, they are not of, they are not of him. They are not of the man of dust anymore. They are from the heavenly man. And they are heavenly now. You understand? It's, I don't know if I can say that. May, maybe... It's, it's a different race. It's not, we're not of the earth anymore. We're heavenly. See, as he was the man, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as he's the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's what Paul says before, you know, we're following the, 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 the world and the spirit of the world and walking in disobedience to God. That's how we were, bearing the image of the man of death. Now we shall, we, 
we can bear the image of the heavenly man. First Peter and Hebrew talk about us being pilgrims and sojourners on, in, on this earth. It supports that, that truth that we are not of the earth anymore. We are born of God. And we, and we will bear, we will be able to walk, bear the image of the woman which is walking in obedience to God, conform, being conformed to the image of Christ. In Romans 8, 28 through 29, he says, and we, shall know, and we know that all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to this purpose, who is purpose. It's a really well-known verse. But why everything works for good? For, for purpose, we see in verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God will work everything in his children's life. He will work everything for one purpose, is to conform them to the image of Christ. As we are born of the of God and we are heavenly, we will become, we will bear the image of the heavenly man, we will bear the image of Christ. The spirit in us will work all things for one purpose is to make us like Christ. That's the purpose of the spirit. That's why the spirit is in us. And that gives us great, great hope and assurance is that this is the purpose. The God of the universe who created all things, almighty in power, as one purpose is to make us like his son. Our only, our only responsibility is to surrender to him, to receive it, to accept it. That's all he requires from us, to surrender to him. He will transform us. He will make us like his son. We will bear the image of the heavenly man because we're heavenly. We're not of this world anymore. I'm going to finish with that uh, scripture from Jeremiah 31. Verse 33 through 34. He's talking about the new covenant which we're under and those who have accepted Christ have been brought in and they're in the new covenant. They're entering that covenant with God, a new covenant. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall... Every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive the iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. You see, he says, this is the covenant, and this is not man's word, it's God swearing. He says, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I lost my thought, but um, those who are born of God, those who are accepted, received Jesus as being the Messiah, are born of God, they receive, they understand the love of God toward them, His grace, they are transformed. They are adopted, they receive the Spirit of God. They are born again, born of the Spirit. And they can in turn love God, love Him back, and love others. And as we are transformed by His Spirit, God put His law in our hearts, in our mind. He write it on our hearts. And we can walk in obedience to His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. You see, this is not just an external confirmation to a law or trying to follow some principle. It's a transformation. We are not who we were. We are from heaven. We are heavenly. We are heavenly. It's hard to wrap our mind around that, but it is the truth of the gospel. 
Ähm, I don't say that we, we never fail. I don't say that we're perfect. That's not what I mean. I mean that we are born of God and, and we are not who we were. We are different. We are, and And people around us, people, I mean, I have some family members that are really, they don't know the Lord, and they're just really religious people, and, they, and, they, and they, they've seen my life changing. They see now I've been transformed, but they still think I'm trying to follow some uh, 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 system. I'm trying to work something or accomplish something. No. It's, it's the spirit of, work of God in me would give me the desire to obey him, give me the desire to follow him, all of us, all those who are born of him. And they don't understand that. They strive, they try to make it happen, they can't, because they don't know his love. They haven't received his spirit, they haven't been transformed. So the last verse, um, I'm done. So who is he who comes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? He comes back to that believing that Jesus is the Son of God. So victory over the world is through faith. That's the only way. Through faith we receive God's grace manifested toward us in Christ, and we are adopted, we are indwelled with his Spirit. And through faith, every day we are transformed, we become heavenly. This is sanctification. We, be, we, we bear his image. We are reflecting his image more and more as we walk in obedience to his word and, 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 and the work of his spirit in us. We are transformed and we become more and more like him, little by little. This is sanctification. It's the, it's the faith in the same grace that, by faith in the same grace, we're enabled to bear his image. We're enabled to, to walk as he walked. That's why he says it's the victory that overcome the world is our faith. It's only by faith in God's grace. From salvation through sanctification, it's the same thing, the same faith in the same grace. I, I love that when I read in, I'm done. And I won't say it anymore. Uh, I love when I read in the, in the Old Testament when, when Moses, he went on the mountain and he had the encounter with God, and he spent time with God in the presence of God. And when he came down, his face was glooming. He was shining. And, um, and he had to cover his, his face with a veil. And it's the same thing with us. Through his spirit, we can have the communion and the relationship with him. And, and when we spend time in his presence, as, as Moses saw God and was changed by him when we see him when we when we see him and we see him through his word through the time of, of prayer and communion with him and, and meditation on his word we are seeing him he reveals himself to us we are transformed by him and our life starts shining and radiating and reflecting who he is so I love that the picture of Moses it's a great picture for us I mean he does the same thing in us today he does the same thing in us uh, Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, that you have adopted us, Lord. You have you have shown your love toward us through the death of your Son, Lord. He was the perfection in the in the perfect manifestation of your love. It's by your Son dying on the cross, bearing our sins, dying on our behalf, Lord that we would be able to find life in you. We would be forgiven and adopted, Lord, as sons and daughters, Lord. And now you have given us your seed, your very own spirit will live and dwell in us. Lord, what a great privilege. The spirit of the almighty, creator of all things, all-powerful God, dwells in us. And your spirit transforms us.
day by day, Lord. Your spirit conform us into your likeness. As we are born of you, we are heavenly now. We will bear the image of the heavenly man. We will bear the image of Christ, Lord. What a great encouragement and strength for all of, all of us, Lord. When we struggle and stumble, we can remember, Lord, that your spirit will make us like Christ. And it's not a man who swore it. It's not a man who said that. It's you, the only one and true and living God, all-powerful and mighty. You swore that you will make us like Christ, Lord. So we praise you for such a promise, Lord. Thank you for your love toward us. And please lead us, Lord, in, in, in loving you, obeying you, and loving our brothers, Lord. Lord, we long for a life that would reflect you and, and glorify your name and honor you, Lord. So we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.